Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yep. And welcome back to Talking Knicks. The NBA season starts this week. Los Knicks dominating the preseason three and one. Can they keep it going? No, uh, we, we won't deep dive too much in that. We will talk about the preseason a little bit. Some of the Cavs games circle back on some of the Pistons games and just what we've seen joined by Tom Piccolo, Greg Poon. Let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. Tommy and Greggy, how you boys doing? Happy Honda days. We are here. It's Christmas is this week. Where where this year goes? Did you guys have a good year or bad year? Um, no, I mean, the, the crazy 2020s winding down vaccines around. Who knows when we'll get it? But I know when we're getting Knicks basketball this week, fellas. Kind of unreal. Feels like we were just in the bubble, the bubble, the bubble, and now we're back. The draft happened. Emmanuel quickly is so hot in the streets right now. Speaking of hot in the streets right now, Thomas J. Piccolo, how you doing, brother? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Having a nice weekend over here and looking forward to a shortened week coming up. I'm just working Monday and Tuesday. I, I have Wednesday off, and then I've got like – two weeks off until like January 4th. So it's, it's pretty nice. Our office is closed. They're treating us right. Um, but no, I mean, my weekend's been good. I actually went on a, uh, on a, like a, a socially distanced cruise around New York city. Okay. Yesterday we booked this like way in advance with another couple, another one of roses and my uh, best couple friends out here in Connecticut and we booked this back in like August and we're like it'll be you know like things were kind of calming down a little bit back then and we're like we'll be fine we'll go on this cruise and uh I don't know we got there and it was just super strict as you'd hope you know you want everyone to be safe but uh I mean there was no eating or drinking on this boat you had to physically go outside out onto the deck where it was just freezing cold to even eat and they're like if you would just eat around your mask that would be best. And so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what you'd hope for, for an mm. evening, but you know, that's kind of the world we're living in now. Um, just a freezing cold boat cruise went around the Statue of Liberty. I've, I've seen it before. I, I you know it's, it's always majestic, but still um, it was good. I hadn't been back to New York since the beginning of March. I hadn't been in wow. the city for months. It, it's the longest I've been, you know, outside the city since I moved there back in 2011. So I don't know, kind of a good weekend though, in general, no, no complaints. I built a snowman. I made a snowman today, um, which was kind of fun. How tall? So, um, you know, it was probably about, I mean, not that tall. Was it five and a half feet? It was. Okay. A that's a real feet. snowman. Yeah, no, no, a five. Yeah. I call it between five and five. When and you half, said but. five and a half feet, did you catch yourself thinking about my height very quickly? Cause that was you the reaction you seem to have. 
you saw my face and it okay. was it told the story there well, so no it's not like, like I, sounds like you had a sick freezing cruise bro greg how are you <laughs> i'm doing all right over here i had a more leisurely weekend than tom it sounds like i i just watching football and Watched UConn play basketball today. It was cool. Yeah. They, were, they were good at basketball. They lost. They blew the game pretty badly, but they looked good. And they have uh, James Booknight, who looks like an NBA player. I think he dropped 40. So, he's good. And, you know, just forgot what it was like for UConn having a, a legitimate NBA player on the team. It was okay. good. And then, you know, also got the fantasy football playoffs going. Got two leagues in the semis in both. Going to lose both games, and mm. oh well. But the the uh, the playoffs are great because you're always wondering like how you're going to win. When right now I'm like, I think I, the Giants just get shut out. I can win this thing, but that's just not going to happen. Fantasy football is a disease, man. <laughs> I mean, everyone feels that gambler's thing kick in, where it's like, well, if Wayne Gallman fumbles three times tonight. <laughs> Um, so sorry to hear about your fantasy team, Tom. Sorry to hear about the cold part of the cruise. Yeah. How how was your weekend, Jake though? What what would you do? Your midget snowman you made. Um, I, uh, what did I do this weekend? We, yesterday was Saturday. We had a little bit of a John boy media, uh, soiree of sorts. Me, John and our Keith McPherson, uh, grabbed our significant others. Uh, and we had a couple couple beverages and, I don't know, I guess it was kind of holiday-themed. We had a, uh, I don't know, we just had this weird moment. And it's funny, you mentioned you haven't been in the city for so long. I was also going to make a joke about, like, Greg was moving to the city and he, like, got a place and then that, because the city just died. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know, we just had a moment where we're like, you know, the, the John Boy Media crew, we see each other almost every day. I mean, even... John boys, Katie works there and, you know, I see Jess. So we, we got together. We had a nice night, just told tales. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And then I was almost baited into, uh, Jess has a cousin in town and it was one of those, like, we're not going to meet up. Right. Um, but it just, that needed to play out. So luckily that did play out, got my hundred pushups and Peloton ride in Got my Kentucky sleeveless on, so I mean I'm hang 'em and bang 'em, baby. You look good. You're looking no, looking, no, no. I don't want to fight you on that. Speaking of looking good, though, how about them Knicks? Huh? Perfect Tom? transition. You must be a professional. Uh, show hashtag show. Uh, Tommy, Tommy P, you've been you've been gearing up. You've been hot in the streets. It started with the OB topping vids. Um, you're, you're seen over a lot of Nick forums. You're hopping on other podcasts. You're hot in the streets and I love it, baby. What's, um, main, main takeaways, biggest takeaways from the preseason games. Cause you guys know, I talked about this pre-show a little bit. I'm, I'm excited about quickly. I'm excited about some of the things I saw from Randall. You guys know I got a stat and I'm excited. We have a head coach. But at the same time, I keep telling myself, you know, preseason games against two of the NBA's worst teams in the Pistons and the Cavaliers. So uh, four games into this, the preseason, what, what have been your best and biggest takeaways and, and why? Yeah, I guess it is tempting to go the, the quickly route because of just 
how unfamiliar it is to have a point guard who's like competent helming the Knicks. But for me, it's the story of preseason and the story of this upcoming season is going to be the development of RJ Barrett. Like he's the headliner. He's who all eyes should be on. Like he, he made some big strides granted in four preseason games against far below, you know, NBA caliber competition, I guess. Um, you know, some of those Cavs lineups they're trotting out were their second, third stringers. But in general, like uh, through four games in the preseason, Barrett averaged about 18 points per game, five boards, two assists. He shot 51% from the field. He barely did anything from the three-point three range. He was just like was – it was two of 16 from three, which will be, you know, something to look out for. But the biggest – like maybe the biggest thing for him – was his free throw shooting. Like, the, the guy shot 13 of 15 from the free throw line. That's 87%. And, and this is a guy who, like, shot in the – was the 50s last year? And, like, that was part of his Achilles heel. Like, he just had no confidence getting to the free throw line. He got there a fair amount, but it was just felt like wasted, wasted possessions. And, you know, even numbers aside, he looked so comfortable just taking control of the game. He was – you know, getting the team into the offense at times. He was leading the offense. He was distributing. Um, and he just looked like in total control, like the game had slowed down for him a little bit. And that's the biggest story for me is, is going to be how he becomes, you know, at times the Knicks' primary creator. And it looks like he may even be their leading scorer this year, which is not something I would have put money on before preseason. Like before preseason, I was thinking it was still going to be the Julius Randle show. And after those four games, I'm, I'm starting to think like RJ Barrett's really didn't get his, his time to shine. I love that, man. I, I love that. And that's, uh, I, I think two weeks ago was my last time on here. And I, I was hoping to dream like that. That was one of my dream takeaways this year that RJ Barrett could be the best player on this Knicks team. Cause that's, you know, for all the crap we give Julius Randle, you know, the stats end up there, take that for what it is. But if RJ Barrett can be the best player on this team, um, you know, that I, I think that's huge. And again, uh, I've mentioned this a couple times, RJ Barrett, his free throw percentage, it, it got better as the year went on. I mean, his first five games in October of last year, he shot 40% from the line. He went up to 55, 63, 74, bad February. So I won't say the number cause I'm making my own story, but in March he shot 75.8%. So I, I think if those free throw numbers go up and he gets to the line as much as he can, you know, even with that basic jump, you're right, Tom. I mean, it's, it's huge things for RJ. I mean, that's his game, right? Like it's, it's getting into the paint. It's using his physicality. Cause it's not like he's this elite athlete, but he's very strong. He's just very smart. He sees the game well and he gets, you know, he gets to the rim. He, he I had a stat, like I tweeted it out the other day. It was something like, R.J. Barrett, um, he's shooting – at the time, he was 13 of 18 in the restricted area. And I think even since then, he's, he finished preseason 17 of 24 in the restricted area. That's 71%. And for comparison, last year he shot 53% in the restricted area, which was dead last of the 42 players to take at least 300 attempts from there. So he was, I mean, at the very bottom of the barrel finishing at the rim last year. And the numbers even up in preseason, granted against lower competition, were elite. Like those were, you know, Mitchell Robinson-esque numbers at the rim. And 
you know, I don't expect him to, to hold at that rate, but just seeing that leap is, is very encouraging and, and hoping that he's able to, to continue that throughout the season as it, as it begins. Hmm. Greggy? Yeah, I mean, I like what I saw from R.J. Barrett. Clyde, uh, Clyde was saying he looked like the, the player he was at Duke. And, um, yeah, he was just getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. And Clyde was saying he, he expects him to average 18 this year which at first I thought was like, well, that's pretty good. But, I mean, he averaged 14 last season, so that's only a four-point increase going into this season where he's going to definitely have a bigger role with, you know, Marcus Morris gone and us knowing that him and Julius Randle are our two best players. So I think that jump is is very feasible. Um, I think 18 is a good expectation for him. I could see him hovering around that 17 to, to 20 range. If he gets up to 20, that'd be that'd be wild. Yeah, and you you know the counting stats. It, it almost brings me back to Knox a little bit because you look at Knox's rookie year and you're like, hey, those those counting stats look decent. And then, you know, you you put the package all together. So I, uh, you know, if those numbers are there with efficiency, I mean, absolutely, I'm interested to see what the final product looks like. But, I mean, we we forget. I mean, R.J. Barrett was the fifth youngest player in the NBA last year. Uh, Dumboya, Talon, Horton, Tucker. Smilagic, not sure who that is, and Zion, and then it's R.J. Barrett. So, uh, you know, all of the growth we should be talking about from R.J. makes sense. Like, it, none of this is a leap, and I think that's where, again, it just becomes what is the ceiling. You know, Tom, I've heard you say DeMar DeRozan a lot, um, and I, I was on a big, if you guys remember, I, I liked R.J. as a point guard. I think I do want to come off of that, but I do like him as a creator. Um, and that, you know, just ties into positionless basketball because I think he can pass. I think he can score. I think uh, shooting <laughs> will be an interesting development. But uh, RJ is the future of this team. He's 20 years old. And he, um, you know, we're talking about the chance of him scoring a semi-efficient 20 points per game this year with, you know, five, six, seven rebounds, three or four helpers. That's a really good NBA player. And I think that's where that DeRozan comparison comes in a little bit, right? It's because – DeRozan is just a, a terrible three-point shooter. And RJ, last year, I think he averaged maybe 32% from three, maybe a tick below that. But um, in preseason, he didn't really have much confidence at all in his three ball. And I'm sure that that will, that, you know, those numbers will increase uh, throughout the regular season. But um, like he showed a lot of mid-range uh, proficiency in pregame. Like he was pulling up. He was, he likes dribbling into his shots. I think a lot better than he does, like catch and shoot. He just doesn't seem to be all that comfortable from a standstill. He likes getting into rhythm uh, off the bounce. So his mid-range game actually looked pretty good in preseason. And then it's just getting to the, to the hoop. It's, it's dishing to, to teammates, racking up some assists. So I think, you know, in, in that way, he's pretty similar to DeRozan. I've also thought of like TJ Warren, but a better passer. Um, but just like TJ Warren, as far as he gets his buckets, I can see that. Um, granted, TJ Warren like became a better three-point shooter over the last like season and a half or so, but those are a couple of comparisons. I know some people will say Jimmy Butler because he's kind of like the gold standard of just bigger, strong, physical wings who can't shoot threes. Um, but he's kind of like an anomaly. He's just like such a competitive freak, and just I don't know. It, it's hard to, to make that Jimmy Butler comparison quite yet. But um, the other two guys I can see. Uh, and, but the thing is, like DeRozan isn't a good defender at all. And RJ Barrett 
it, he is like he's he's strong and he's he's a good defender. So I think that's where he kind of separated himself there. Yeah, and DeRozan posted a lot of stats in his Toronto days. I think he had a twenty-seven point per game season at one point. So if that's in RJ's future, we'll all be happy, assuming yeah. efficiency again, as Jake mentioned. And uh, I don't. For me, it's just the only part that really holds me back on those guys. Because, I mean, a couple of, you know, DeMar DeRozan is a great NBA player. Like, not all time, but he's he's been a great option for a long time. The three-point thing is really in my head because when I see R.J. Barrett, you know, 32% on three-and-a-half attempts as a rookie, again, like the fifth youngest guy in the league, I think there's still more potential on that. And, like, I don't think he's going to have DeRozan's mid-range game. Um, but I do think he will have the opportunity to stretch the core a little better than those guys. Like that's, I don't want to say that's those guys as a Achilles heel. Um, cause those guys can do a lot on the court, but I, I think Barrett still has potential as a shooter. Um, but I guess time will tell with that. And speaking of shooters, I, I think that brings us to the guy who might be his unexpected back court mate that uh, we kind of thought was just going to be a, two guard corner shooter off the bench. We talked about this guy, maybe going to the G league. Here we are. Emmanuel quickly, uh, qu- quickly. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, is becoming a fan favorite. Uh, and it's pretty easy to do in Knicks land. Cause if you, if you can rack up some assists and you can make some shots, that's a good way to do it. And, uh, I know one of the popular things that's been going around about him is his mid-range game, getting some separation there. But this guy is dropping dimes and looks like a point guard, which I'm wearing my Kentucky sleeveless right now. And Kentucky has had this reputation of somewhat playing guys out of position or working on other skill sets that when they come to the league, you see a different player. And I, it looks like we're seeing future Knicks point guard, Emmanuel quickly kind of flourish before our eyes. Yeah, and that's that's what we hope. Um, so in this second, I mean, he led the charge in the comeback in the first preseason game against the Cavs. The Knicks were losing by 17 or something in the fourth quarter, and then him and the other young guys ran it for the fourth quarter, and, and then won the game, came back from a good deficit. But then in that second Cavs game, he was the starter because Alfred Payton, Dennis Smith Jr., and – Fregnil Aquino were all out with injuries of, of some kind or, or just resting as a lot of people were just resting that game. Um, but, I mean, he he took advantage of, of his start against the, the Cavs roster. Um, had 22 points, five assists, five steals in 29 minutes, plus 41. It's a pretty good uh, plus minus. I mean, plus minus in that game was pretty pretty nuts since the Knicks just started blowing him out very early. But, I mean, he could shoot it. was three for five from three, seven to 12 from the field. He's got a nice little floater in there. So he seems to have pretty good court vision. Loves shooting the ball. You, you could tell that he just loves his, his stroke. So, lots to be excited about for him. We'll see if that was just him playing against the, the Cavs' backup players or, or if it's, it's legit. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I think that's a good question, Greg. Um, but to your point, he did make the most of his start, and that's kind of all he can do as far as giving us confidence, inspiring hope for Knicks fans. And he did just that. Like, he was he was billed to us as kind of this off guard, right? Um, 
like maybe he'd run the offense sometimes, but he was in no ways like kind of painted as this uh, pure point guard. And so seeing him orchestrate the offense, I mean, he was so much more of a natural than say like Dennis Smith Jr. was earlier in preseason who just couldn't seem to get the offense at any kind of rhythm at all. It looked so disjointed with DSJ at the helm, but, but quickly he just kind of took control and took command and it, it looked really good. Like out of pick and rolls, he was doing that Chris Paul thing where he would snake back under the pick and roll and like get the defender on his backside. And like, you know, when you're, when you're doing that, you can, you can either raise up and, and try and draw a foul that way, or, or just, it, it keeps the defense on its, on its toes and uh, on its heels even. And like, he's just really smart. He's just a much smarter ball handler and point guard than I would expect a 20 year old to be who was billed as this shooting guard to us. So um, yeah, everything we saw, I, I was very impressed by, and I, I hope he can, uh, you know, continue that in some way, granted against better competition going forward. But even so, he, he seems to be super confident. He, he carries himself like at every level of basketball, he has been the best player on his team. And like, he does that in a good way, right? Like, you know, we've had guys in the past like that, like Alonzo Trier, who I'm sure was always the best player on his team, no matter what growing up. And it just doesn't translate that confidence and that swagger doesn't translate to, to productivity, but quickly for some reason seems to like, well, part of it is his ability to, to distribute and pass the ball, but it's also just, he has that quality, that kind of like leadership quality that um, it, it seems like he uh, kind of galvanizes his teammates and gets them, uh, he rallies them around him. And, and it's, it's cool to see. It was cool to see in preseason and I hope it continues. Guess, guess you could say he's a high IQ player. Let's go. Huh? Yeah, we have to do that and say quickly every time we talk about it. Every time. Uh, no, it's it's awesome, man. And, you know, again, being a Knicks fan can be weird sometimes. And you guys know, I mean, being a shorter fella, I've always been enamored with the point guard position. And I picture that pure point guard, the Chris Paul type. And, hey, who knows what Emmanuel quickly is going to develop into. But if you start thinking about this Knicks team, you know, you need – someone in with the ball in their hands who's a threat to score a threat to pass and a threat to shoot and now rj barrett emmanuel quickly like I, you're starting to come up with a few names that you know whenever we end up on alfred payton i'm i'm looking at last year's assist numbers and alfred's got he had a couple big games for us but he's always going to be limited from the three-point line i i forget do either of you guys remember the stat that came up in our group chat the other day that alfred payton is one of the only players to take X amount of threes. It's like him, Giannis, um, and a couple other people that are just Julius Randle. Julius Randle, that's right. We'll get to him. Um, that you know what? With quickly with the ball in his hands, with uh, R.J. Barrett with the ball in his hands. You know, these are young, fun guys that we can grow with, and I, that's that's kind of what we look for on a game to game basis with the Knicks. No. And that was yeah. the lineup. That... I have the stab. Oh, go for it, Greg. I have the stab for you before before we get past it. There are six active players in the NBA and only 16 this century who have taken more than 540 career threes and shot less than 30% from deep. Giannis, DeMar, Michael Carter-Williams, Stanley Johnson, Julius Randle, and Alfred Payton. That was the, that was the stab for the listeners. And, and who tweeted that, just to give him a shout? Jack Huntley. Oh, Jack Huntley, Nick's nuance. 
Mm. He's over there at the Strickland. Really good writer, that guy. Shout out Jack Huntley. Shout out. Add. Jack Strickland. Jack Huntley. Writing writing for the Strickland. The Strick.land. Strick Jackland? Um, Okay. Any anything else on IQ? I mean, are are we worried about defense? He's just a young guy. I, I mean, what else? I mean, he's 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 supposed to be good at defense. He had five steals in that game, that second Cavs game, and then in that first Cavs game, he had zero steals and zero blocks. So, but they won that game, and he led a seventeen point comeback. So the defense must have been there in some capacity. That doesn't show up in the stat sheet. And the cool thing about that that comeback, Greg, that you mentioned was just who was on the court when it happened, right? It was all the Knicks' young guys. It was Quickly, it was Barrett, it was Knox, it was Toppin, and it was Mitch. That was the five that led that comeback. And and it's – I mean, that's – I mean, that's what you want as a Knicks fan. Like, that's why we're all tuning in. That's the whole reason we're here is for the development of those guys. Um, You you throw Frank in there when he's healthy, but – Beyond that, like, I, I, was there anyone else we, that we want to see? Like, that's the whole crew. So the fact that they were the ones who were able to, to play together and to, to rally the team back uh, from that deficit, I mean, that was, that was so exciting. And you just hope that, uh, that Thibodeau plays that group with some consistency because that's what the whole season's about. Is Knox roping any of you guys back in? I mean, he's like, got to. His, my soul is getting roped in a little bit because you know when he when he's making threes, it's beautiful. It's got that nice rainbow arc. His timing is nice. It, it looks good. That like when you start putting the picture together of having Thibodeau, a real head coach, and having better talent and maybe spreading the floor a little bit better, it's you can start talking yourself into Knox, who I've I've been very tough on and deservedly so last year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, he's got a nice shot. All whenever he misses, it's usually looked like it was going in and just rimmed out. But I think he was three for three in that fourth quarter in uh, the first Cavs game, and then he was six for seven in the game in the in that second Cavs game. So when you go nine for ten for a stretch, you got you definitely going to get some people believing in you know, as a shooter. And I mean. Even just standing still in the gym, if you shoot nine for ten, that's impressive. But he's doing it in, in game action. And I, I really don't care who you're playing. The three-point line's the same distance, whether it's the Cavs starters or the Cavs end of the bench. And there's that corner three is always going to be open for somebody if there's good penetration by RJ or Randall drawing a double team. So knock it down, Kev. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm particularly just a little guarded when it comes to Kevin Knox just because – I feel like we've been hurt before. Just last year, I remember <laughs> I remember literally telling you guys, like, Kevin Knox could hit 40% from three this year and, like, with, with no sense of irony. And you guys were just like, oh, I guess. But he, he ended up really disappointing. And through the first seven games, he was actually over 40%. I think Kenny sent us a stat um, to our group chat. It was something like he shot 40 point something percent through the first seven games. So four preseason games probably shouldn't, you know, change our opinion necessarily. But I have this one stat for Kevin Knox that I think I may have mentioned on the Lockdown Knicks podcast last week. But so, Greg, you mentioned those corner threes that are going to be open. 
So 121 players last year took at least 50 corner threes, and Knox ranked 120th out of 121 in corner three uh, percentage. Only Derek Jones Jr. was worse. So, I mean, that was just not his spot last year. Like, on a decent volume, he, he couldn't hit. That's – I mean, that's – I was saying before, like, th- th- that's the minimum. That's the bare minimum that Kevin Knox has to do to be able to, to be an NBA player. Like, he has the size. He has the athleticism. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the defensive instincts, it doesn't seem. But, like, if he wants to be an NBA player and get that next contract, he just has to be a, a relatively consistent shooter – especially from the corners. So um, last year it was a huge area for development for him. Um, And through four preseason games, it looks like he has the confidence, which is the biggest thing, because I feel like we all felt like he lost that last year. But um, yeah, that's, that's Kevin Knox's career. Like it, his, his whole value proposition is being able to shoot threes and stretch the floor and uh, he did a lot more than that in these preseason games. He was grabbing and going and pushing the pace and finding guys on the break and, and finishing at the rim. Like, he was doing everything that you want him to do. But come regular season against better competition, he just has to hit threes. So that's – I mean, that's the, that's the end of it for him. Yeah, and you think Tibbs may have uh, told a lot of these guys to just do, do their job, kind of Belichick style. Because, yeah, I mean, you saw – Less Knox half uh, free throw line floaters and more of him just getting to the three-point line and shooting the ball. So I think having a basketball coach may be useful for for Kevin Knox and the rest of the team. And the other thing is, because I I thought about saying, you know, all all I want to see from Kevin Knox is the shooting. Like, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations around here about, you know, becoming a complete pit player and, passing which is something I want to talk about in a second um Knox it's it's putting the ball in the basket and if you look at his game log from last year and you look at the month to month I mean the last three months of basketball he's averaging 16 minutes a game which you know eight minutes a half for a young guy whose confidence was shot is just a brutal ask so um interested to see where his minutes land as we are with a lot of these guys but um you know, if you make buckets, you get played. That's the other side of that. So, um, you know, in these preseason games when the past two, when he's been filling it up, yes, give me that Kevin Knox all day. And, and Jake, part of that confidence thing was last year just being put in these positions where he had no chance at success. Um, we talked about how his rookie year, he put up those numbers and he just looked better based on the eye test. And, um, I'm looking at where he was played positionally his rookie year. So he played about 55% at small forward and 45% at power forward. So, I mean, I mean, that's relatively close to 50, 50 between, between playing the three and playing the four, his, the team's numbers were much better when he played at the four. Then you go back to last season. So Knox's year two, it was closer to 85% at small forward and just 15% at power forward so like he's just frankly he should be playing more of that power forward spot because that's where you know his he's kind of slow of foot like he'd be able to move better laterally to defend power forwards and then on offense he's able to stretch the floor better like small forwards are expected to be able to shoot so there's not as much value there power forwards more and more so these days but like there's still a lot of more value with a power forward being able to shoot because 
you know, it, it, like I said, it, it stretches the floor, and that's where Kevin Knox would be best used. So through, in the preseason, it's mostly been Knox at small forward, but I'm curious to see how, how Tibbs uses him uh, going forward. Yeah. And, yeah, no, the, the power forward thing, I mean, we saw that happening last year, and that sucked. And um, as the bodies flow and Mitch's development, and that's – I. I really I have some thoughts on Julius Randle, but I, I figured while we were with the young guys, I mean, do you, do you guys have anything new on on Toppin or Mitch? I feel like Mitch has just been Mitch doing his thing, uh, kind of consistently. And I mean, Toppin, it's kind of the the middle ground. There's no complaints. Uh, it's kind of what we expected, but I'm, you know, I I'm excited to see what it looks like come real games. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean. With with Toppin, I'm uh, watching him play. I've become a little more. I, I don't know how more, much of an immediate impact he's going to have. Uh, I think we, when we drafted him, we were talking about you know he's the most NBA ready right now. You can just put him in the game because he's a full grown man. But I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, he definitely has the NBA body. He can jump uh, with the NBA players, but his his jumper needs some work. He. Uh, it's not like Tom has mentioned. He's not as fluid of an athlete as as we thought. Um, I, I mentioned he kind of looks more like Chris Humphreys moving around than than Amari Stoudemire. But I mean, brutal. Chris Humphreys was fine. Was <laughs> fine. He had a fine career. Not what you would want out of your draft pick. But I mean, you know, whatever. He'll 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 figure it out. I assume. Hopefully. Yeah, so top end, you, know, you don't want to make too much out of preseason. I will go through the numbers. Um, he averaged seven points per game. He shot just 38% from the field. And a big part of that was his three-point shooting. Um, he shot he shot 9%. So he was one of 11 from three mm. in total, um, six of nine from the free throw line. Um, he threw there, – there were some encouraging things. He threw really nice passes for a big. Like, I was super impressed with his playmaking, his vision. That was all great. Um, and I saw some flashes of that in, uh, in his college tape as well. My biggest – maybe my biggest concern, honestly, is just I don't know that the Knicks are going to put him in position to be successful because he is a, is a pick-and-roll big. Like, he is a rim runner. He – he needs to be getting a, like several lobs per game, kind of like Mitch, but I don't think he's going to have the chance to do that. Like, you know, Mitch is going to be getting his minutes likely starting. And if not, Nerlens Noel will either start or be getting significant minutes at the five. And then other times, like in order to get Toppin up to 25 minutes per game, he's going to have to play with Julius Randle, another guy who, you know, takes up a lot of space in the paint. He does not, draw the defense out to the three-point line. So Toppin's role, like in preseason at least, was at times just like a glorified pick-and-pop guy. And again, he shot one of 11 from three. Like, it, it's, it's worrisome. I, I don't know how they're going to use Toppin and how they're going to be able to maximize his skill set, which is just being this great vertical athlete. Like, you do want to get him out in transition, get him running. But, you know, Tibbs' teams are traditionally some of the slower teams in the league. I looked through his his team stats year after year and they're towards like in the bottom five pace almost every year. So I don't know, like I was definitely excited about top and excited about his, the skills he would bring, 
Um, but I don't know how the Knicks are going to use him, and that, that might honestly be my biggest concern. Yeah, and one, one of the phrases I, I go to a lot in any sport, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, field hockey, um, is do what the opponent doesn't want you to do. And does the opponent want Obi Toppin to pick and pop and shoot from three? Absolutely. Do they want him running to the rim and putting pressure on the defense? Not at all. So I, I'm kind of with you, Tom. I want them to implement that, but when you start – thinking of the minutes that's tricky um and yeah again this is where the sample size kicks in you know it, it one was it one for nine on preseason threes if if he comes out in the first two regular season games and he's five for eight i'm like yeah shoot it ob so um you know i i am interested to see how that develops a little bit there there will be a growing curve and yeah i mean i think the the fast break Obi go go eat there and I mean if we're being honest I think what we want to be saying in in next year when Randall's contract is up that you know oh we should feel pretty comfortable with Obi Toppin and Kevin Knox falling into that power forward role yeah that sounds right um that's that's hopefully the goal you know just Get your rookie season out of the way. Learn what you can. Uh, probably, we're not expecting to be the rookie of the year, as uh, I think some people might have mentioned. Not not confidently, but as a possibility, just because of him being on the older side of of the the draft class. But you know, he's still still a young guy, relatively for the NBA. So just got to learn and then step in next season. This is just going to be his his rookie season, if you will. I mean, it is tricky with him because I think this is part of the reason why he dropped to the Knicks is he, you want him to be that pick and roll rim runner, but on the defensive end, he can't really protect the rim for you. So it's almost like you need a, you know, like a stretch five who can actually protect the rim and stretch the defense on the offensive end uh, to be kind of the ideal uh, front court teammate with Toppin and, you know, I'm not, I guess your mind immediately goes back to Kristaps Porzingis, but, you know, he's injured all the time and, and it's hard to rely on him. But even a guy like Bobby Portis, I mean, he's not a great defensive player by any stretch, but on offense, like that would be a good fit, a much better fit than, say, Toppin and Randall. Um, so, yeah, I, like even, even if Toppin doesn't get those lobs, like if you're hitting him on the roll, he, like I said, he's a really good passer on the move. Um, he threw some really nice passes. So, you know, you think of a guy like Mitch who doesn't really have any of those kinds of ball skills. He can't put it on the floor. He's not going to be able to make those, those nice passes and those nice reads. Mitch can really only throw down lobs and he's elite at it, which there's a lot of value to that, but there's a lot of skill overlap uh, or just like space on the floor, like geographical overlap between Toppin and and Mitch. Mm. And, and this is kind of where I want to end up. Um, it, and Julius Randle has been on my mind a lot. Um, and, you know, we, we make our jokes, the Knicks Twitter, the, the, the spin move he does every play, every, every Knicks fan knows about it at this point. And, guys, this is where I talk myself down and I say preseason doesn't matter. Julius Randle had eight helpers uh, the other night, eight assists, and his season high last year for the New York Knicks was seven. Um, he, that, that was his high in assists, you know, obviously he 
not a big passer, a lot of turnovers, blah, blah, blah. And we've seen Toppin passing. We're seeing Randall passing. We're seeing Quickly passing. And this is where I get excited because there were so many box scores last year where, you know, the high assist person was five, Marcus Morris, Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and again, Julius Randall did get better last year. I, I know that's, you know, that's not what people want to hear, but look at the month to month. He went from 15 points, 17 points to consistently averaging 20, 20 plus the last four months, double digit rebounds the past three months. So is there a world where we're painting the picture? Tibbs comes in. He's a real coach. We're believing in him. We're believing in a little more talent. They clearly said something in that preseason game, like Julius Randle passed the ball. And I, I, I think it was Greg, or I, I forget who, that there was one, you know, he, he caught it at, at the top of the key and he was wide open and shooting wasn't even an option. So again, that's where you don't know with these preseason games what the conversations are. But I mean, can we be sucked into Julius Randle in a good way at all? Am I, am I too far ahead on my skis? Yeah, I mean, this is the very beginning of the next season, so we have to be optimistic in some way. Otherwise, it's going to be a terrible experience already. <laughs> Although, I think we're all, all ready for that to happen regardless. But Julius Randle, as, as we've said, is our best player right now, pending R.J. Barrett's uh, explosion this season. So, right now, you have to hope that him having a, a basketball coach in, in Tom Thibodeau, forcing him to do the right thing, uh, forcing him to, you know, as I mentioned, do your job like Bill Belichick makes his players do. So, yeah, I mean, you have to believe in Julius Randle for at least the first – before the first game starts, we have to believe that the team is can make the playoffs. And then, you know, after they start 0-1, then we can be negative about whoever we want. Yeah, I mean, to Jake's point, I think there, uh, there was that second game against the Pistons where Randle had five turnovers – and just looked at like he was going full Randall and, you know, there were the spin moves. There was all the LOL Nick stuff going on. And um, it does seem like someone spoke to him after that. Cause he, he followed that performance up with two uh, consecutive two turnover games and he was really distributing the ball. Well, um, you know, it's still frustrating to watch him. It's still like, in that I, I don't think that his skill sets like uh, complement our young core. I think that they kind of overlap and um, that there's some, some issues there positionally, but you know, Randall's he's an NBA caliber player. I, I guess my concern with him would be, I feel like I say concern a lot, which means it's a Knicks podcast, but hmm. it's that, uh, it's kind of functionally a contract year for him, right? Like he's going to probably treat it as one and that may incentivize him to get his numbers, right? Um, you know, maybe fall back into some of his old bad habits, ignoring young guys. I'm hoping that's not the case, but I don't know. Do you guys think that there's any, any issues there? Any con- maybe a conflict of interest with, with Randall trying to get paid after this year? Yeah, I hadn't really thought of the contract here, Tom. That that does get a little scary. I feel like whenever we've thought about it, it's been, you know, making a trade package or whatever it is. And, yeah, you know, uh, Julius Randle's got to look out for, for one, you know, and I get that. You guys know that's how I live my life. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I want to see how it comes together because at the same time, 
Julius Randle doesn't have to hurt his value by necessarily taking his foot off the gas pedal. Like if, if the efficiency numbers go up, if the turnovers go down, I mean, again, I'm in, I'm in last year's game log and I mean, there's just too many games, 23 games with four or more turnovers, you know, I, I uh, just sat there for you, Jake. Um, this is per NBA.com. So 70 players had a usage rate of 22 or higher last year. And Randall ranked 69th in turnovers per possessions used. Um, so like, you may think, nice, that's not nice. Like, that's actually really bad is towards the bottom. Derek Jones Jr. was last. Derek Jones, you know, I think, I think it was actually Andre Drummond was last. Yes. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, the NBA has moved past just being fooled by being – if Julius Randle finishes with, you know, 20, 22 points and 11 boards, but his turnovers are high and his efficiency sucks and the Knicks stink – that is going to do less for him in free agency than if Julius Randle gets 18 and nine, but all of his efficiencies are up and the Knicks play a good form of basketball. Like I, I, I truly believe that. And, and maybe, maybe I'm being naive, but I, I don't know. It feels like we have so many stats and so many analysis that, you know, at, not Julius Randle can't go to every NBA team after this year and say 22 and 11, who wants it? Like, that's not how the NBA works anymore. It worked on us, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, he's, he's got to show that he can fit inside of an offense because um, whoever signs him after the Knicks isn't going to want him to be their number one offense, number one option on offense. So I, I think there is is there would be a benefit to showing that you can be part of something and not – just ruin everything for everybody all the time. Do you guys think there is a chance that he gets traded before the trade deadline? I mean, he's really just the big contract the Knicks have in case they want to bring in a big contract and send a big contract out. So it'd be, it's really up to, up to the superstars to demand a trade to, to the Knicks if whether or not Julius Randall gets traded. Yeah. In my, in my mind. Tough to picture. Uh, well, no, let me say this. It's not tough to picture Julius Randle being traded. I mean, if uh, the season goes awry and whatever happens, but I don't know. It doesn't seem there's a lot on the horizon. Feels like the cap space could be there. And, you know, the the best case would be what? The Knicks get another high draft pick this year. They have cap space. And R.J. Barrett becomes the best player on the team, topping something, quickly something. So is there a world where it happens? Yeah, but I I don't know what it is. Yeah. I, I have a I hard know. time seeing like Randall getting traded just for like cap filler and an asset, like kind of like we did with Marcus Morris. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see there being all that much demand for him, first of all. But even then, like, I don't think you can trade him for just like a bad contract because like we've been saying, he's, He's, in a lot of people's eyes, the Knicks' best player. And, you know, it would just be a tough look for this new regime to be swapping out the Knicks' best player for, like, nothing. Getting a draft asset back, but it's just, like, so blatantly tanking that I don't know if it would just – I just don't think it would really sit right or I don't know if this front office would, would even have an appetite for that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see what, where we're at at the trade deadline and, and whether or not – 
you know, going full full tank will be the move or not. But the only other option I could see is, like you mentioned, like a, if Mo Harkless last year, if he was like injured and they just the, the Clippers wanted to trade his contract and bring in somebody who could play, that type of deal for, for Randall could work as well for the the cap filler and the the draft pick. But an actual person for him, doubtful. Yeah. Yeah. No, you never know in the NBA. Start matching salaries, start matching picks and stuff. I don't know. Doesn't seem optimistic. Who uh, who else do you guys need to hit? Uh, Tom, I know you've been on a big Alec Burks kick. I mean, is there anything to be said about Nerlens Noel at this point in his career? I mean, as far as Burks goes, um, like I had gone into the – I had mentioned this on, on Locked on Knicks, like I said, but – um, I, I went into looking at his tape thinking he was just going to be like a glorified Wayne Ellington, just like you love him. Who Ellington? No, you <laughs> loved him. Now you love Burks. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I honestly thought he was just gonna be like all catch and shoot, like never getting into the paint, no free throw attempts, just like jacking threes from everywhere. But he actually shot like he sh- so he took a ton of his threes off the dribble, like in pick and rolls. Um, he shot 39% on, on a high volume of off the dribble threes. And I, I'll give the stat here. 64 players took at least a hundred pull-up threes last year. And Burks ranked sixth among those 64. So it was JJ Redick, Paul George, Dame Lillard, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and then Alec Burks in pull-up threes. I mean, that's a really valuable skill to have. Um, it just really surprised me that, that that's the kind of player he is. So um, he, you know, he can generate a lot of attention off the dribble and pick and roll. And he, he'll probably, I mean, he can also catch uh, off catch and shoot too. So he's just a good all around shooter. He can also get into the paint. He can, he was got a lot of free throw attempts last year too. So he, he seems to be a solid player, which is why it's confusing to me that he has played for like, five teams over the last two seasons. I don't know why no one wants this guy, but he, he seems to have, like, have a very well-rounded offensive game. Does he get the second most minutes as a guard on the Knicks this year? Is it Barrett than him? I mean, I don't, I don't I, the, the rotation Tricky, is right. The rotation is, is a question we're going to have to talk about shortly has, as it's very tough to, to figure out. There's a lot of guards. There's a lot of people. Who's going to be the odd man out? I think it'll be, you know, if somebody gets injured, that would be helpful to answer our question. I mean, obviously don't, don't root for that, but it would solve the, solve the, solve the question. I don't know. Yeah, there's a kind of an, so. Austin, an Austin Rivers mystery there too. We have kind of no idea what his usage is going to be in the, in the rotations at all. So I'm curious to see where he's going to come in, but you know, we'll quickly be getting those minutes. I have no idea. Like Dennis Smith Jr. Still seems to have some of the, you know, Tibbs's confidence for some reason. Um, you know, it's still too early to, to pull that entirely, but um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, Jake. It's, it's certainly possible that Burks will be the, the second guy behind Barrett. I mean, and also, 
right now, Barrett seems to be starting at the three to the, to the point that if there, if you consider actual positions, because we had quickly or Peyton Burks and uh, Barrett starting in the first couple of games. So, you know, as it, Who's, who's even the starting point guard on this team? We have no idea. Couldn't even guess. I assume it's Alfred Payton or Emmanuel Quickly. Those are two very, very different options. Open for Marcus Smart. Those pull-up threes. Damn. Stats, stats are weird. Stats are weird. You said, you said it like it was a good stat, and then you were like, he's right behind Marcus Smart. Like, oh. <laughs> hey, those other names, though, come on. Like Pretty impressive. Well, that's, now I now I want to know Marcus Smart's other three point shooting stats. Is he just like a horrible catch and shoot guy? I think that's true. So like when he Marcus was, Smart is in transition and he's got that potential dagger three, he's flip a coin. It's just yes or no. But if he's taking a normal three, he's brick squad. Marcus Smart was pretty good from three last season. So I assume Tom, this stat was from last season. That's true. But, yeah. So. He had a good year last year from three. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I just know it in my in my bones. In my bones, they love him. I would love him too. Um, I don't know any any other Nick stuff. Are we on to what we're watching? No, I think we got to talk. The the last three guys cut: Miles Powell, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and it's Bruce Brown, who was just brought in pretty much so we could bring time to our G League team. So we cut all those guys. That means Omar Spellman and Brasdikis both made the team. We were expecting one of them to get cut and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist to make the team. But no, that's not the case after Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was injured and didn't play in any games. He, he didn't earn a spot, which makes sense to me. Um, so, I mean, we're happy about that. Keep those young guys. I don't know how much potential Brasdikis has. I don't, I don't really see a spot in this rotation for him. So I wouldn't have been heartbroken if he left. But we used a draft pick on him. We traded up to get that pick. So hopefully there's some there eventually. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Then that We're talking about the 15th man there. But more so, we should be talking about the rotation and who's going to be out of it. Yeah, I think that was mm-hmm. the one thing I, want, I wanted to bring up. I mean, first, I want to touch on Mitch just because, sure. you know, you look at ESPN rank. They rank the top 100 players, and Mitch is the only Nick on that group, in that group. So he is, some people's eyes, the Knicks' best player, their most valuable player. Um, and we haven't really even talked about him that much. He had a, a, just an okay preseason. He, he just got 25 minutes per game. Um, he did see a lot of foul trouble the first couple games. And I, I want to say against the Cavs, he kind of was able to curtail that and stay on the court. I think he's looked really good defensively. I don't know that he's really added anything to his, to his offensive game. Like he's still the, the same rim running lob threat he's always been. Um, as far as improvement goes, he looks like a, a better rebounder. I think he's, he's uh, boxing out a little bit more and maybe I'm really hoping he's going to be making more contact on his screens because I know last year that was a huge sticking point for us as he slipped every screen because he was in such a hurry to just get downhill and get to the rim um, but to the detriment of, of the ball handler there so I don't know is Mitch really the best player we, we've said Randall we've said Barrett are like the two best players um, we clearly disagree with 
with ESPN, but I don't know. Are, are you guys high on, on Mitch? Do you still see that much value in him? I mean, it just feels like Mitch is what he is. You know, when we talk RJ Barrett, you know, DeMar DeRozan to Jimmy Butler on the high end, uh, TJ Warren getting buckets at the bubble, you know, there, there's kind of that excitement factor of what is it? I mean, it, it feels like Mitchell Robinson is going to be Mitchell Robinson again this year, which again is nice. I mean, are we going to get him up to 26 minutes? He, he went 20 minutes as a rookie, 23 minutes last year. You know, how many minutes is he going to be on the court and how much offense can we get out of him? Because it's super efficient. He broke the NBA field goal percentage last year. Um, but it, again, and it just ties into our weird big man rotation and the foul trouble, like you mentioned. So I'm, I don't think there's any possible leap for Mitch, if that makes sense. Uh, I think the biggest thing is if, if we can get 27 minutes a night, you know, you might have a 12 points, nine rebounds, three block shot player, which is, is a pretty good NBA player that could plug and play on any NBA floor. Yeah. I mean, he, he, if you were any other NBA team, you would want Mitchell Robinson on your team. I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, he definitely has value. He's, you know, blocking shots, dunking the ball. But, I mean, it's not well-rounded. But, he, like Jake said, he is what he is. And that's it's a good thing. I mean, he's fun to watch. Definitely contributes on both sides. So, I, I mean, the NBA rank was, was just a ridiculous list of people. For, yeah, I guess it's not that interesting to talk about Mitch that much because there isn't all that much projection you can do. I, I think he's good at, like Jake said, he's good at what he's good at. And you're not going to see him dropping dimes, right? It's not like all of a sudden he's going to become a good passer. He's not going to be putting the ball on the floor and like pump fake and drive into the rim. Like he just doesn't really have that in his bag as much as we see that in offseason workouts. It's just like not how he's probably going to be used. And, and I don't know how much the Knicks really need him to be used that way. Like he's, he's elite at his, you know, at what he's good at. And that's fine. That's like good enough. Um, I, I think if he could get into the double, double figures scoring and close to double figures rebounding, I, I mean, if he's a walk and double, double, that's incredible with his rim protection. That's, that's what, what you want. So is, is um, the player comp wrote Rudy Gobert who just got paid, paid like, is, is that what we should want? Is, is that not what we should want? So, I mean, that's probably what we should want. I, I don't really see much else there other than hoping that he'd be, well, you know, the anchor of a defense who's able to dunk the ball and make free throws. Yeah, I don't have Gobert's numbers in front of me. I want to say he's probably like a little bit of a better passer, maybe even a better, just a more skilled all-around offensive player. And I think like defensive player of the year caliber defender, right? I mean, perennial defensive player of the year candidate. Um, he's just very smart. And, you know, Mitch has all the tools. I don't know the like has the – just the basketball IQ of, of a Rudy Gobert who is just like a, a wall of verticality and, and it's really hard to get around. Um, Mitch is more fast twitch and, and like more athletic and can, and can move his feet on the perimeter better than Rudy Gobert does, which is definitely an important skill today. Uh, I'm trying to think of who might be a, a different comparison. It could be like a Clint Capella, um, just like a longer Clint Capella type. Um, I bet Tyson Chandler gets brought up a fair amount. 
Tom, I, 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 I'm on Rudy Gobert's basketball reference right now, and it doesn't, it doesn't blow you away in the, the projection either. I, I know, and I, again, I'm, I'm saying like, what should Mitch be going for? And Defensive Player of the Year is obviously a, a huge thing in the NBA, but you know, Rudy's around two to two and a half blocks. Um, you know, in his fourth year, his scoring jumped up to 14 points per game, 12 rebounds. So he, he hits the, the boards harder. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of the other defensive stats he measures out pretty well. But, you know, the, the basketball reference stats that come up, I mean, Mitch could and should be kind of on that sort of can be on that sort of projection. Yeah, I mean, he only averaged one and a, one and a half assists last year, for reference, and then career sixty four percent free throw shooter. So I do feel like he has a little more post skill, um, but that's kind of it. Yeah, it's the post skill and probably just like the the defensive, maybe the intangibles. I mean, you know, you don't. I don't know what his like personal errors fouls per 36 minutes are, but like, you know, Gobert yeah. obviously is able to stay on the court <laughs> such that he's able to, to make these, these all, de- you know, and Gobert is just someone who has a Knicks fan. Like we've seen him look like Wilt Chamberlain against us. So, so much like he's, like, <laughs> I think that maybe my perspective is a little colored by that, but he's just looked so unstoppable against the Knicks in recent seasons that, um, but if you're talking about absolute ceilings though, then, then sure. I, I don't know if it's like a, a reasonable projection necessarily because just because of how elite Gobert is on the defensive end. Does Mitch have defensive player of the year potential? I think extremely optimistically, sh- sure. It's like not out of the realm of possibility, but it's, it's not likely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, the fouls thing is a great point. And that's kind of, that's the untold story of Mitchell Robinson really is that, you know, a lot of his huge nights, it's because he can stay on the court and play 30 minutes and then it, it does feel like he has uh, a few, you know, when you have a couple games just get torpedoed because you get three quick fouls in the first half and then you end up playing 15 minutes, that that does shake up and affect the box score. So, yeah, a little, little bit of the same song and dancer. I mean, he only averaged 23 minutes a game last year. That's That's got to get up. Got to get up. Got to get up to get down. What else? Any other any other rotation stuff, Greg? Were you thinking like it, it, I mean Frank and DSJ? Like, are they going to get minutes on this team? What What are you thinking there? Yeah, I think that was just the, the the quick question. I mean, we're we're getting over an hour here, so I don't want to hold up too long. But that is a big question. Those are those are two of our young guys too. You know, we want to be part of the future. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we're married to DSJ. Maybe just because he wasn't homegrown, and because of how awful he looked last season um but frank's our our guy um kenny's guy mostly but you see the defensive potential there you you know he can contribute on on at least one side of the ball and if he just gets to be a mediocre offensive player and and knock down threes he's you know he'd be a good nba player but the knicks already have a lot of guys, if, if Peyton's in the rotation, like we mentioned, Burks and Baird in the backcourt, and if we want quickly to get minutes, then that's a crowded backcourt very quickly. And, you know, who's, who's going to get the time? I mean, I'll, I'll be straight up with you guys, my heavy analytics. I have no idea, man. 
is it is it just going to be whoever Tibbs likes? Like I, I don't know, man. And you know, we've been doing this Frank dance, and he he clearly has a role in the NBA, and he has all these like, I almost want to call them half skills. Like I I was going through the the assist per game leaders before, and like Frank had a ten helper NBA game. Like Frank's had nights where he's done that. It, there's been nights when he attacks the basket, and you're like, okay, that's something, Frank. Um, I just I need him to be able to do something on offense, and I don't know what that is, and I don't know if Tibbs has a mindset for that. DSJ, man, I mean, that would have to be a full reclamation project for me. You know, it would have to start out at 10 minutes, and those 10 minutes would have to get good, and then it's 12 minutes, and those 12 minutes get good. Like, he he has to work his way up big time. So, um, you know, I, I think the ideal world is Alfred Payton does his thing for the first half of the year, and then we – trade or release him for a second round pick and Dennis Smith jr. Has earned his way back. Um, but I don't know, man. And that's, that's my biggest fear factor with this season is we start talking about these young guys and bodies and minutes. And this is the same conversation we had last year. And a lot of those young guys kind of got screwed. Yeah. I don't know that there's gonna be enough room for both Frank and DSJ. And so uh, granted, Dan Smith Jr. will be playing point guard, and Frank, it doesn't seem like they have any interest in playing him at point guard, right? Like, even when he was out there with Quickly, it was Quickly the one who was bringing the ball up. So Frank has been off the ball in just about every lineup he's been in. He's officially an off-ball guy. And if Austin Rivers is going to be a part of this rotation, then Frank could very well be on the outside looking in. I hope not. I like seeing Frank. I like the homegrown aspect. I like that he – can defend. I think he does have some passing chops, like even in secondary, like pick and roll stuff, he can, he's got some good vision. Um, he likes pulling up from mid range a lot more than he likes getting to the rim. And he's not really good at any of those things. So, you know, that's frustrating, but um, he has NBA potential in some areas. And I just kind of like, I just like Frank. So that's, you know, there's some emotional side to it, but I'm definitely a little worried that he may be left out of the rotation entirely. And that would be kind of a bummer, especially if it were at, you know, Frank's losing minutes to guys who won't be on this team next year. We don't know what Frank's contract situation is going to be either. So who knows? Yeah. And I mean, Austin rivers, man, Austin rivers averaged 23 minutes per night on, you know, a really good Houston basketball team. So you know, it's hard to picture that number going down. So when you actually start, you know, stuffing the ballot, man, it it gets tough. I I don't know. I don't know. That's analysis. Perfect analysis. We don't know. Well, boys, we've we've been rolling. Are you guys watching anything good? Hit it quick. I watched Nocturnal Animals this weekend with Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. It was okay. Okay. It did not have did not have a happy ending. Damn. Sorry. Yeah, it like, it's all right. Sad. Tom, what have I been watching? I haven't really watched much this past week. Um, s- sticking on Amy Adams, though, I did see Arrival mm. recently. The the film Arrival. Oh wow. What a movie. Have you seen that, Jake? Wait. Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner. I think I have a hilarious story about that movie. 
Really? Like literally on my all-time best stories list. So Arrival, Amy Adams, you know, there's some alien contact and oh, they're yeah. figuring it out. And uh, big, big twist. It's a twist movie. So uh, probably five years ago, whenever this movie came out, uh, my company had a holiday party. Long story short, get hammered. Me and a coworker I'm not really close friends with, we went and saw Arrival. Um, so it's really weird. Like I'm still not friendly with the person really, but me and this person got tanked and we watched Arrival. Um, and it was partially, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. They were like crazy drunk. Uh, and they were like threatening to drive and stuff. So I was like, I'll, I'll go watch a movie. Like, let's go watch a movie. So, and, so whatever, not, not friends. We watch arrival. Like they're asleep at the theater. So I'm watching arrival kind of myself with a drunk person. Fast forward a week. Cause it was a holiday Christmas party. Jess's dad visits and he's like, Hey, let's go see a movie. I really want to see arrival. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched Arrival twice, uh, the alien movie with a big twist. That if you know the twist, I mean, you, the movie you almost can't watch the movie again. So that's why. That's, that's funny. Um, what time in the day were you drunk watching Arrival? Was it night? So it was like a happy hour after work. It was like a happy hour holiday party after work. Um, so it probably started at like five. And then, yeah, I think we probably caught the, like, 7.30 showing. <laughs> it's kind of a confusing movie to watch drunk. So I'd ima- I-, I wonder if the second time around you caught more. I don't know. I, I mean, you caught a couple things along the way a little better. But, again, I mean, it's kind of, you know, almost Sixth Sense level that it's like, okay. Yeah, it was, it was a good movie, though. Greg, you should watch Arrival. Sober. What's it, what's it on, Netflix? Uh, how do we know? Jake may have gathered more than you. Have you ever seen it drunk? Maybe you need to be yeah. drunk in order to watch it. I might, have a couple, I might have a couple after this and pop it on. What's, what is it on, though? <laughs> Was it, uh, is it HBO Max? I'll, I'll text it to you. We, we could take that offline. <laughs> take that offline. And the other I thing, mean, I've, I've been watching The Good Place, which I know you, you guys have watched, and I'm, I've been enjoying that, so. Big first fan. time through like you, you haven't seen it before these are all new to you first time through yeah cool how, f- how far along are you so i'm about i was gonna look that up because i knew that's a really good question to ask um right towards the end of season two all right nice um, good really good yeah really great show do you have like a favorite character is anyone like really get you you know what i would just say my sleeper candidate that i would have lost money coming in on I'm a sucker for all the Janet jokes. Um, just all the easy, like whenever she just says like, I'm not human. Like, like mm. those just kill me. Darcy, Darcy Carden, I think is her name. I mean, every, okay. every Blake Bortles joke always got me. Yeah. Those are pretty good. <laughs> no matter what. Those are I all mean, the Jacksonville jokes are funny. It kills me that like Blake Bortles is immortalized through that show. Like, yeah, that's that's nuts to me. That's nuts. Bortles and Jason is his name, right? Uh, yeah, Jason yeah. Mendoza. That, that's a great character too. His his jokes are sucker punches. They either you either don't want to go for it or they get you really good. Yeah, yeah. 
but Janet's great. I mean, yeah, one of my favorite characters too. Like um, the when not to give too much away, but when Jason and her are falling in love and just like he's professing his love and she's shooting down basically every line. <laughs> just the concept those, of love. <laughs> those are so good. So yeah. good. So all right. How about that? Nick's what we're watching. The season is coming. We we might be dropping another pod. I know, you know, BBD loves loves spitting some facts. We'll see if Kenny's around. Or maybe we won't, because it's the holiday season. And Santa Claus has got a toy for every good girl and good little boy. Santa's a great big bundle of joy when he's coming down, coming down, coming down the chimney now. People heard your holiday, your Christmas album already, the, the Major League Baseball one. It's about that time was, for our talk, next one. Talk about hot in the streets. That was, that was popping. Put an odd amount of time into that. That's uh, it showed. Weird world. It's a weird world. Uh, thanks everybody. Enjoy your holidays. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode. Some good Knicks talk, and we'll uh, God, the season's here. That's nuts. That's nuts. Been a weird year. Uh, so hopefully we enjoy the Knicks race to a title. Uh, check everyone out on the Twitter sphere, and we'll uh, let's have some fun with this Knicks season. Let's have some fun. Let's go next. Next day.